salvation stories. That's what those were. They're just stories about people telling what happened when they came to know Jesus as their Savior. You think about it, what's your salvation story? Where did you come from? What happened? You know, what things did God do in, in your life to bring you to where you are? Maybe like some of them, there's, there's um, drug abuse or some there's marriage situations. Some there's nothing wrong at all. Life's going great. Making money. Um, and your little kid sits in your lap and says, Daddy, uh, when are you going to get saved? And God uses that to trigger something inside your salvation stories. You know, maybe you don't have a salvation story yet. Maybe you're here with us today and, and you say, you know what, I, I've never had something like that. I've never had a situation in my life where, where all of a sudden I realized I needed the Lord and God made himself real to me and I asked him into my heart. I've never come to that, to that point in my life. Um, good news is you can. You have a salvation story, a story that changes, that, that says this day I was this way and after this day in meeting Jesus I was different. You know, we all have a story when we come to Christ. And, you know, my story is not a whole lot different than some of these people and not a whole lot different than most of you um, because we all kind of live lives that are somewhat similar. You know, like so many here, raised in a mainline denominational church, going to church a couple times a year and, and believing that Jesus was really real. I did. Believing Jesus was really real, believing He was really the Son of God, believing the Bible was really true, but, but not having any relationship with the Lord. And then having kind of a situation in our family where, where my, my crazy aunt got saved. Anybody have a crazy aunt, uncle? A crazy aunt who was on, her I think, her fifth marriage at the time, and, and she came to Christ. And she invited my parents to church because she, she met Christ, and then she invited my parents, and they met Christ, and they invited me, and, and I met Christ. And I'll never forget the day walking to that church service um, at a church that doesn't even exist anymore. It was a church in Adele, Wisconsin, just up the road here on 57, and the church isn't even there anymore. And... and um, Sitting there and thinking, man, as this kid who was raised in this Lutheran church, um, this is kind of crazy, it's kind of strange. People were really excited and shouting and singing. And um, I think they literally were swinging out the chandeliers in that place. And um, the pastor gave the message and it was over. And I, I felt something inside of me that I'd never felt before. Inside of me I said, this is what I've always been looking for. But the weirdest thing is, I didn't know I was ever looking for anything. You know what that's like? I came to a conclusion like this determination. This is what I was 19 years old. This is what I've been searching for. But I said I didn't know I was searching. And I, and I, I got done with the service and, and uh, walked in the church of this little, this little library in it. And I went to the library and I was just walking around. And I didn't really have any great experience in the service other than I said, this something's real here. And there was a tract. And I this, you know, it talked about salvation. I didn't even know what it was. I picked it up and I looked at it. And it, it said, you know, do you believe you're a sinner? And I said, yeah. <laughs> it didn't take much to convince me of that. And said, do you know that Jesus died for your sins? And I said, yeah, I know, I believe that. You know, and asked me some questions. And then it said, do you want to ask Christ in your heart? And I said, I do. And flipped it over and said, pray this prayer. And I literally read the prayer off the back of the tract. Did you believe anybody's ever done that? I did that. I read the prayer off the back of the tract. And it said, now you're saved. And I went, hmm, now I'm saved. It was as emotional as it was, unemotional. I put the tract back on the shelf and I said, now I'm saved. I never shed a tear. I didn't get excited, didn't get emotional, and my life changed. I, you know, how do you explain that? All of a sudden, from that day on, Jesus was in my life, and I was a different person. And my entire life changed. And what's a salvation story? And we throw that around, that, that kind of a word around in the church a lot, salvation. You know, what's that, what's that really mean? You know, it's, it's the reality that man is lost in sin, and he's separated from God. 
And the only way to be, re, to be rescued from the destruction of sin is through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's salvation. Salvation, it's, it's one of the core beliefs of this church. It's one of the core beliefs of the organization we're part of called the Assemblies of God. And I don't know if this has ever happened. I've been an Assemblies of God pastor for 20 years. And I don't recall this happening before. But um, our organization, that we don't ever, we're not a top-down organization. We're a bottom-up organization. We're our local churches are independent and we do what we want. But, but our national organization contacted all of our churches and said, Would you spend four weeks talking about the, the four main doctrines of the Assemblies of God? Will you spend four weeks in your churches this year talking about the things that we say are really important? And churches all across this nation have said, yeah, we'll do that. And the first one is, it's this. It's salvation. It's talking about the fact that, that we believe that a person must be born again. You know, this church believes it. Our organization, the Assemblies of God believes it. But more importantly than that, the Bible believes it. It's what God believes. That people are lost without Him and that, that, that they're supposed to be we want to be found. So we're going to spend the next four weeks starting today with salvation and, and going through the, the cardinal, kind of the main core beliefs of the Assemblies of God. And, and does anybody know what the other three are? So it gives a test. This is, why, this is why I thought to do it. I thought, you know what, I'm not even sure as a church we could say what they are. And we say these are the four, the, the four cardinal things. I bet, you, I bet you Evan can say them because he's a Royal Ranger leader forever. The four gold points. Salvation? No. No? Oh, Suzanne, you got it wrong. That's all right. <laughs> Salvation, baptism in the Holy Spirit, divine healing, and the second coming of Christ. Those are the foundational doctrines that, that, um, that the Assemblies of God and, and churches all across the world have been built on. Just saying that, you know what, these are, the, these are the main beliefs that we see from Scripture that are so powerful and so important that we believe that, that we should take some time to emphasize these things, that God is really about doing these things today. It's not saying there's not other doctrines that are important in the Bible, but saying these are the things that, that we know that God is really about today, that God's about saving the lost, that God's about healing the sick, that God's about filling people with the Spirit, and God's about um, letting us know that He's coming back again. But these are the things that we can build our lives on. And so today it's for salvation. Salvation, you know, it's, it's why Jesus came to this world. If you want to boil it down, you know, we can say all the reasons, all the good things Jesus did. But if you really boil it down and you say, why did Jesus come to this earth? It's for one reason. Salvation. The verse that we kick around all the time in the church. The, the one that we hold banners up at, at sporting events about, John 3.16. You know, it's really simple. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him um, shall not perish, but shall have eternal, everlasting life. You know what that is? That's salvation. Jesus came to save. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, Jesus, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish. What's that? That's salvation. That's the stories we just heard about. On the, on the introduction today, the stories of people saying, my life was going one way and then I discovered that Jesus really did come into this world and He really did die for me and if I give my life to Him, He really has an effect in my life. It's salvation. But you know what? It's beyond just why Jesus came. Salvation, you know what? Something else. It's why Jesus chose you. Think of this for a second. Salvation is why Jesus chose you. He chose you to be saved. 
So you could be saved and you could have what? Is it because you were saved? Because salvation is washing your sins away, coming into a right relationship with God. That he saved you so that you could be connected to him. You know, we don't like to admit it sometimes, but the fact of the matter is that without salvation, a person can't know God. Without coming to that place where their sins are forgiven, we can't know God. And God chose you on purpose so you could be saved. But he didn't just save you to be saved. You know what? He also chose you so you could continue his mission. We said his mission is what? He came into the world what? For salvation. And you know what? He says something amazing in his word. He said, greater things than he did, we would do also. And you know what he's talking about there? He's talking about salvation. He's saying, I came into this world to save sinners, and I'm going to call out this entire group of people called the church, and they're going to do a greater work. So you know what they're going to do? They're going to take my message of salvation across this world to every community and every person on this planet, that they're going to do greater works. You know what, friends? He saved you for a reason. He saved you to continue his mission. He saved you on purpose to continue his mission of seeking and saving the lost. And his, his work of saving people can't happen without you and me. He said he did something amazing. He did something, I think, really risky. He said, you know what, Mark? Um, I got one plan. I'm going to save the world. But I'm going to do it through people like you. You know what? He said, Phyllis, I'm going to do it through people like you. He said, I'm not going to send angels to do it. I'm not going to come back and you know, walk around the, the, the streets of Milwaukee and do it. I'm going to do it through people like you, Vicky. That's what I'm going to do. That's my plan. I'm going to do it through people like you. So, you know what? He chose you for salvation to continue his mission. Salvation. It's why you exist. But you know what? It's beyond that. Salvation. It's why the church of Jesus Christ exists. It's why Portview Church exists. Do you understand something about salvation? That none of the purposes of the church could be accomplished if people didn't come to Christ and receive salvation. In the, I don't know if you follow, kind of a, if, you're, if you're an insider in the church world, reading books, watching television, Christian TV, listening to Christian radio, but if you are an insider over the last couple of years, you've heard tons about the last ten years of the talk of the purpose of the church. What's the purpose of the church of Jesus Christ? You've heard, you've seen books written about it, and some say there's five purposes, and some say there's six purposes, some say there's three purposes. They all talk about what's the reason for being, what's the, what's the purpose of the church? You know what the reality is? None of the purposes, even though you want to say there's five or six, none of the purposes can be accomplished without salvation. You know what? Lost people can't worship God. One of the purposes of the church is that we're here, we exist to worship God. What did we do this morning? You know what we could have done honestly and it would have been legitimate? We could have got together, worshipped the Lord, and we would have honored the Lord. And we would have said, praise the Lord. Isn't God good? And we could have honestly said at that point, amen, go home. We accomplished one of the purposes. We worship, but get this, lost people can't worship God. Lost people can sing songs. People who don't know, what do we mean by lost? People who have not yet been found, who have not yet been saved, they can do all kinds of good things, but they can't worship the Lord. We can't accomplish the purpose of the church without focusing on salvation. You know what? Lost people can't be discipled or be disciples themselves. You can't be a follower of something that you've never come, in, never come to a reality with. A disciple is a follower. One of the purposes of the church is to make disciples, to teach them and train them. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Guess what? That can't happen without salvation. 
And friends, so I see a church is not really a church if it's not working to bring people to salvation. And that, makes, that brings me to a question. A question maybe beyond just the simple idea of salvation. It's this. Um, what really is salvation? What is it really? Because I'm not certain that we really understand salvation as good as we think we do. You know, we're used to giving little, little catchphrases for it, little one-line answers. We say things like this in a nutshell. It's, it's deliver us from the power and the penalties of sin, and we understand that's true. That's salvation in a nutshell. You see, salvation is a reality of what Scripture tells us true. The Scriptures tell us that, that our world is under a curse. Scripture tells us that this world is under a curse of sin and that it's un- it affects every person because we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Since Adam, sin has had a grip on this world. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has been under the power of sin. And the sad truth is that the penalties of sins affects, affects every single um, part of our existence. The world, the Bible says, is groaning under the weight, under the destruction that sin brings. You know, this week, if you turned on your news, the news for one moment, you heard it. Destruction, curse of sin. We live in a, we live in a community where because of sin, a man would kill, a, kill a, a woman, kill two small children, and set their house on fire. It was on the news this week in our, in our community in Milwaukee. And then take the other little toddler and, and flee and they don't know where that little baby is. Or maybe they found by now, I'm not sure. But you know what? That's the reality of the curse of sin in our world. Everywhere we look, sin's destruction is evident. And beyond just the effect in our everyday world, friends, understand, Scripture tells us that sin's penalties are eternal. There's a word that we don't like. There's a word that we, that we maybe, we use it as a swear word in our, communi- in our culture. But there's a word that in the church world we just want to pretend doesn't exist and the word is hell. Hell, the scripture says, is the penalty, the eternal penalty for sin. I don't understand why for years in the church world, and maybe I see this often, that people talk about hell sometimes with a glimmer in their eye like, oh, they're going to get it in the end friend understands something, I can't think of a more horrible thing in the world than the fact that there's a reality of hell. A place where people are separated from God. Everything good, everything beautiful, everything wonderful, everything comforting comes from God. Separated from that, not only that, the scripture says a place of eternal punishment. What an incredibly horrible concept and place. And I don't think we can imagine how horrible the penalty for sin really is. People joke about it. Well, I'm just going to go to hell and party with my friends. There's not going to be any partying in hell, friends. It's not going to be one moment for one second of partying in hell. That's the reality of the world we live in. We live in a world bound by sin and the ultimate destruction for that is hell. But Jesus came into the world. And the good news is, The good news of the gospel, the good news of salvation is that Jesus came to set sinners free. That he came to deliver us from the power and the penalty of sin to offer us salvation. And his life and his death and his resurrection all had a very clear and eternal purpose. Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. He came to save us. He came to redeem us. 
Jesus came to deliver us by paying the price for our sin. He took the punishment that we deserve for sin upon Himself when He hung on the cross and the sin of mankind was placed on Christ somehow, as horrible as it was, placed on Him and He paid the price to deliver us from sin's stronghold. That's what Jesus has done. You see, sin held us captive and we could do nothing to set ourselves free. But Jesus broke the control of sin over us and made salvation available to all mankind. Friends, this is the heart of salvation. That's what we think of when we think of salvation story. But you know what? As they said, give us the assignment. Preach about salvation to all of our churches. My thought was, how can I preach about salvation? We know this stuff already, but I'm not sure we do as well as we think we do. Because I think there's some more that we need to understand about this thing that we toss around called salvation. I think we need to understand that there are some components of salvation. And you know what? I don't know that we really theologians have been trying for you to break these components down into nice little segments and say, this is what God does, this is what we do, this is how we respond, this is what the Spirit does in our lives. And I don't know that we ever can really figure out how it works. But friends, there are some components of salvation that we need to figure out. Because salvation isn't as simple as just saying, oh, I want Jesus in my life. There's a whole lot that goes on as part of it. There are some other aspects of salvation that the Scripture reveals to us. First thing is this. We know that salvation, and this is God's part and our part. The first one is this, it's God's part. And it's all God's part, but it starts with God. We know that salvation, number one, is initiated by God Himself. That salvation is initiated by God Himself. This will help you so much when you're trying to share salvation with somebody. You're trying to share about Jesus. Because you know what we think in our humanity? If I can just convince this person that they need the Lord, if I can just tell them all the right scriptures and tell them the right stories, somehow I'm going to convince them they need Jesus. You want to know something? It never works. You know why? Because salvation is initiated by God Himself. John chapter 6 verse 44 says this. It says, No one can come to me, that's Christ, unless the Father who sent me draws him. Friends, we throw this term on getting saved. Getting saved, friend, isn't something that we can do on our own. It starts with the activity of God by the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's not about human effort. It's not about good works. We can't earn it. We can't, we can't do enough penance. There's not a thing we can do. It's all about God. We get no credit. It's all because of Him. He gets all the glory. So it starts with God. And you say, well, okay, well, it's only about God then, that, that God just got, I can live my life however I want, and, and God's just going to one day come and swoop in and say, Mark, now you're saved. But the Bible doesn't say it like that. It says it's initiated by God. It starts with God, but it also says that we've got a part to play in this thing called salvation. We know that we have a part to play in the process. And the Bible really talks about two parts, two components that we play in the process. And I don't know if you can really separate them, but theologians try to separate them, but there's at least two things in Scripture. We say that that God does this, and in response to what God does, we do some things too. And the first thing that we do is that we repent. The first thing that we do in this process is that we repent. Grab your Bibles if you would and turn with me to the book of Acts. You say, Pastor Mark, why do we spend an entire service talking about just what salvation's components are? You know why? Because God, number one, some of you in here might not know Jesus. And today, you're going to understand that Jesus loves you. He's got a plan for your life. And you just may respond to His call today. But number two, 
If it's true that our, our responsibility as people of God is to do greater things than God did and we're supposed to go into the highways and byways and compel them to come into his kingdom, then you know what? We need to understand how this process works better than just say, get saved. We need to understand it so God can use us. He can use us fully in his, in his ministry. Acts chapter 2. Talking about repentance. Starting in verse 37. Now let me tell you where this is, this setting. This is right on the day of Pentecost when, when, when um, the brand new early church was born. Jesus just died, um, rose from the dead, spent days talking to his, to his people um, for, for days, 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven and the early church goes away and they begin to pray. And they're in the upper room praying and all of a sudden the presence of the Spirit of God falls upon them. And something amazing happens. They all start speaking in tongues, run out into the streets. And people say, what's going on? And Peter begins to preach a message. And he preaches the message. And you know what he says? He says, you killed Jesus. You killed the Christ. It's, you're guilty. He says, but guess what? It wasn't your plan. God had the plan all along. You just were doing what God wanted to be done. And Jesus rose from the dead and he explains to them about salvation. And then they say this in verse 37. It says, now when they heard this, that message that Peter just preached, they were pierced to the heart, the work of God. They were pierced to the heart. God was drawing them. And said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? In other words, how do we get saved? And Peter says this, says to them, verse 38, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Think about these people. These people were drawn by God. They felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And Peter says the first thing, what you must do is you must repent. What's he mean by that? Friends, repentance is a decision initiated by God himself, but a decision to turn from sin because you have been made aware of your sinfulness. It's a changing of directions. It's changing from what, living your life where you're walking, following your own world, your own leading, your own sinful nature, and Jesus enters your life and you say, I'm not going to go my way anymore. And you turn and you go the other direction. You say, now I'm going to live following after Christ. You see, when God the Father draws us, we become aware of our lostness. We become aware of our sinfulness. That man in the video whose little boy was sitting on his lap and his little boy said to him, Daddy, um, when are you going to get saved? And the guy got angry. He said, Daddy, I love you. I don't want you to go to hell. You know what happened in that moment? What happened? He was aware of his lostness. Something happened in a moment by the activity of the Lord that he was being drawn by God and he said, You know what? I don't want this. And when it happens, we become sorrowful. And you know what happens when we, want to be, when we become sorrowful? We want to change. We say, God, I don't want to be this way anymore. And so what the result is is that we repent. We change direction. And I'm going to be honest with you about something today. Hopefully I'm always honest. But I want to address at least something that I think we need to hear in the church world today. I think that this is a dimension of salvation that's been completely underemphasized and maybe even ignored in our Christian culture today. In an attempt to just get people to sign their name on a dotted line and say, I am now a Christian, I'm going to join your church. I think we've de-emphasized this part in our culture. You see, friends, there is a need to repent when you come to Christ. There's a need to change direction when you come to Christ. There is a need to turn from the old life of sin and then through the Spirit of God begin a new life of holiness in Christ. Anybody in here have a Lutheran background? I do. Okay, a bunch of us. You guys remember hearing in your catechism class about a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Anybody hear Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, some of you. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a, a Lutheran minister in Nazi Germany. And he was one of the rare Christian people. It's amazing to us. We didn't live through it, so I'm not judging them. But one of the rare Christian people who stood up and said, This is wrong. We're killing people. This is terrible. And he stood up and vocalized what he was thinking. Maybe a lot of people thought it, but no one had the guts to say it. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had the guts to say it. And you know what great reward he had for saying it? They tossed him into a concentration camp. And they tortured him and they beat him. And they they treated him as horribly as you could treat any person in the history of the world. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, he, he wrote and he, and he was, he was this, this, you know, this great um, theologian and, and, uh, and you know, now he's being persecuted for his faith. And by the end of, of uh, Nazi Germany, when Hitler understood that he would lose the war, he had Bonhoeffer killed. But you know what Bonhoeffer had to say about this? He, took, he coined a term some of you are familiar with. He coined the term cheap grace. And some people would say he said it this way, easy believism. And you know what he said about this? It was about repentance. Listen to what he said. He said, if people preach salvation, when one people preach salvation without repentance, in other words, just add Jesus to your life. He said this. He said, it's not enough simply to believe in Jesus and accept the offer of grace. There must be a real alteration of the inner person. Dietrich Bonhoeffer understood this. He said, it's not enough just to say, I accept Jesus. And that's what we hear oftentimes in our culture today, isn't it? Just accept Jesus. But we're seeing from the scripture, there's more to their salvation than just simplicity. That we, yes, we have to accept Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, we need to be people of repentance. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verse 32, it says it like this. It says, if anyone wishes to come after me, after Jesus, he must deny himself Take up his cross and follow me. You know what the cross is, friends? The cross is a place of death. The cross is a place of death. And here's one of the reasons it's so important for us as people, many of us who have walked with the Lord for a while, to talk about, about salvation today because we've got to remind ourselves that taking up the cross is a daily thing. Take up the cross and follow me. Are we following Christ? If we are as Christians, it's supposed to be a life where we're taking up the cross. That's a life of repentance. Because the cross is a place you die. The cross is a place where you stop going your way. When the Roman soldiers came and got you and said, it's time to go to the cross, guess what? What you were doing yesterday didn't matter anymore. Because now everything's about the cross. The fact of the matter is, repentance is an essential part of salvation. So part of our response to the Father's drawing us to himself is to repent to turn from the old life of sin and to turn to a new life of holiness in Jesus Christ and as we repent there's a part of this that I want us to think about today it's part that maybe one thing we're really blessed with at Portview is we've got a whole bunch of people who are new to the faith a whole bunch of people who are new to our church and that's a wonderful thing and I want you to think about something in this area of repentance it's listed here in Acts 2 it says that that another part of repentance is baptism. Verse 38 of chapter 2, it says, when they said, Peter, what shall we do? They said, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Why would he tie some human action to the work of what God's doing in salvation? Why um, be baptized as part of this process of salvation? You understand what I'm talking about when I say baptism? 
You see, we live in, a, in an area where you could have different ideas about baptism. This is a reference here to what we would call believer's baptism. Repent and be baptized. In other words, you have to be a person who's repented first. You see, like, like me, a lot of you, when you were a little tiny baby, they took you to a church and they sprinkled water on your head. And I'm not going to devalue that in the slightest bit. We do something almost the exact same in our church history, in our church culture. We call baby dedication. Matter of fact, in a couple of weeks, um, Pastor Paul and Christian's little daughter is going get, to get dedicated here on a Sunday morning, I think the 14th of March. We're going to dedicate her. We believe it's valuable. I'm not going to tell anybody that you, know, you shouldn't do something that's saying we're taking very seriously our requirement to raise this child in the ways of God. And that's what people are doing with that. But you know what? That's not the baptism that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches what we call believer's baptism. Believer's baptism is a baptism after you repent. And, and I don't know about you, but I wasn't smart enough at about a month old to, to repent. I didn't even know there was such a thing. My brain didn't work that way yet, neither did yours. The Bible teaches about baptism like this. It says that when you come to Christ and you, He's drawing you to Himself and you've turned from your sins, that then you get baptized. And the very word baptism, baptismal, means to immerse. It means to dunk under the water. And so how we baptize, matter of fact, if you've not seen this, we have a baptism tank that goes right here, and it kind of looks like a coffin. And I think there's some symbolic symbolism to that. And the person gets in the water, sits down, and I dunk them under the water, and I bring them back up. It's baptism. We immerse the person in water. Now, we understand something about that baptism. Baptism doesn't save. But I think there's at least two things that, they, that why it's tied to repentance here. First thing is this, it's symbolism. It symbolically um, shows externally what's happened internally in a person's life who's repented. You know what? When you repent, when you change directions, you know what you've really done? You've died. Water baptism symbolizes repentance process. It says, I have died with Christ. That's why we bury you under the water of baptism. And that's what I say to you when I baptize you. I bury you under the water of baptism. Then what happens? What happened to Christ after he was buried? He rose again and you're resurrected to brand new life in Christ. All of us should have what we call a, you know, a, a before Christ and an after Christ story in our life. And baptism symbolizes that. It symbolizes the repentance. It symbolizes the changing of direction. It says I was going this way and then I died to that old life and I've been resurrected to a brand new life in Christ. That's why water baptism is tied to repentance. We died with Christ. The old life is gone and now resurrected to new life in Christ. That's why we baptize people. That's why the Bible ties repentance with water baptism. There's another thing it does. It publicly proclaims that you are now in Christ. I'm going to tell you something in case you haven't figured it out. Some of you are brand new to Christ and you're walking on a mountaintop. You're just celebrating Jesus is good. He's holding my hand and he's walking through life. I, I don't say this in any way wishful thinking. I'm just saying in reality, there's going to come a time when challenges come into your life and you're going to say, what really happened? God, are you really there? It happens to all of us. God, are you really there? You know what we look to at that time? We pray, we think, we fast, we look to God, we read his word, but we look to that baptism. And we say, I remember the day. I remember the day that I stood and I, and I said, I have died with Christ and I was buried under the water of baptism and now I am saying to the whole world, I've been resurrected to new life in Christ. It says publicly, I am now in Christ. I'm now part of this family. It, 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 says, to you, it says, I am now part, if you're baptized, you're part of the faith family of Portview Church. It's something very important. And I want to t- tell you, church, if you have given your life to Jesus... 
and you've not yet been baptized, believer's baptism, immersed underwater for, for us to symbolize the old and the new, for us to say, now you're one of us, you know what, if you haven't, come talk to me. Because we'll arrange on a Sunday morning to baptize you in water. And it's going to be, you know what, one of the, one of the favorite things I ever do as a pastor is water baptisms. I love doing them. You know what my goal is everywhere I've ever pastored? That every single Sunday morning we'll do a water baptism. And I believe God's plan for this church is that every single Sunday morning we'll do a water baptism. Celebrating new life in Christ. Don't you think that would be God's plan? And so if you've not been baptized in water yet, you come talk to me. And we'll set up a time. We'll talk about it. Explain if you've got questions. And then you say, okay, I'm ready to go. And we'll baptize you. And it'll be a celebration for us and for all the angels in heaven. It'll be a celebration. So, we see there's activity of God. God does a drawing. And it's all, understand, all of us the activity of God. He enables us to do all of this stuff. He draws us to Himself. He makes us aware of our, of our sinfulness. And when we're aware of that sinfulness, then we, we re, re, repent. But the Bible doesn't say we just repent. It says we need to repent and to do something else. To repent and to believe. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. So it says, Of him, him is Jesus, all the prophets bear witness. In other words, all the prophets through all of time recorded in the scriptures are bearing witness or validating the reality of Christ. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So there's a component here. God does the drawing. The Father draws us to himself. He reveals his reality to us. And it's usually quite intangible. Sometimes it's like the Apostle Paul. Remember the Apostle Paul story? He's walking down the road to Damascus. A bright light comes, knocks him on his ground. He goes blind. God speaks out of heaven and says, Why are you persecuting me? That's pretty tangible. But you know what? A lot of your salvation stories are like mine. If you read a tract or something like that, somebody said something, you read it, and you said, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I'm going to pray this prayer. And suddenly something happens. Usually it's kind of quite intangible. You know, it's a feeling, it's a reality. He reveals himself. And then he does something in us that enables us to put faith or belief or trust in him. We come to that point somehow by the work of the Spirit that we believe that Jesus really came to this earth to die for our sins and to purchase us. It's just not some story from Bible school anymore. It's just not some Sunday school lesson anymore. Suddenly it becomes real and we really are able to put faith in the reality that Jesus is for us. You know what? We may or may not at that point have great biblical knowledge, but somehow by the work of the Spirit, we believe in Christ, and that belief results in forgiveness of sins. And that's what Acts 10.43 is saying. Of Him, all the prophets bear witness, that through His name, everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins. Many, many of you can remember that moment. Suddenly, it made sense. Maybe you were like me. You went to church for 19 years of your life. You sang in, in the Christmas programs and, and you, know, you, you did all the stuff. But all of a sudden, suddenly the light bulb goes on and you know that Jesus is for you. So now, we know that when we repent and we believe, that, and as we are being drawn by God, God Himself, we receive. 
we receive this brand new spiritual life. The Bible calls that brand new spiritual life being born, born again. One moment you're spiritually dead, the things of God have no real value, and the next moment your spiritual eyes are opened and you have a new spiritual life in Christ. Friends, that's the salvation that Jesus died to make available to everyone. That's the salvation that folks described in the video that we watched in the beginning of our service together this morning. Lives changed. Addictions broken. Relationships restored as they came to Christ for salvation. Friends, there's nothing on this planet more important than this topic that we're talking about today. Salvation. That's why it's one of the pillars that this church stands on. It's one of our core beliefs. We exist to lead people to Christ, to experience God's great gift of salvation. That's why Portview Church is here. Friends, that's why God's gathered us together. A lot of other great things, reasons too. But first and foremost, because we need to be saved and other people need to be saved. That's what God wants. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Ask yourself a question before we go to prayer this morning. Have you experienced that yet? Have you experienced the salvation that comes from God? You say, well, Pastor Mark, you kind of made it complicated today. God draws me, I need to repent, I need to receive, or I need to believe all these things. Friends, you know what? Somehow by the grace of God, it just happens like that. Something happens inside of your heart and you know that this is real and it's for you. Something's drawing you and saying, this is for me. And you know what we do? We say, God, we just open up our hearts and say, come in. And suddenly He gives you the ability to receive and to believe. And you have this desire inside your heart that says, I don't want to live like I did yesterday anymore. I want to go another direction. Friends, let's pray together this morning.